no great shucks. He was neither young nor handsome nor particularly neat. If he scrubbed himself on Saturday night with laundry soap and a bucket of cold water, he felt that he sufficiently possessed the virtue which is next to godliness until another Saturday rolled around. If he shaved on Sunday morning, it was his nearest approach to a prayer for that holy day. He observed Sundays, moreover, by boiling up his soiled clothes, by a hunting trip through the nearby mountains, by fishing in the first promising stream, and by returning to his camp to pick up a much-worn copy of Robinson Crusoe, which he spelled out with a never-increasing speed. When he had finished a page, he felt that he had accomplished a worthy labor. Often he dwelt for a moment with a serious frown and his blunt forefinger jammed close beneath the word while he pondered its meaning. When he read in this manner, he felt that he was drawn within hail of the world of art. Not that he pretended to culture, or that he really hoped to attain to it. But when he read his one book, he was like the mariner who scans the dim, unknown shore and tingles with the delightful strangeness of it. So it was with Jim Gore. He was a man of middle size. He stood about five feet nine or ten, and he weighed a hundred and seventy solid pounds. When it is said that he had strength in his hands, let no false hopes be wakened. He was not one of those men who have romantic possibilities even in their fingertips. But he had worked hard all his life, and having worked most of the time for himself, he had put in far more blistering, grinding hours than he would if he had worked for another person. He was hard from head to foot. There was no fat on him. A thumb drawn over his ribs would have numbered them one by one. His chest arched out boldly. His belly shrank against his hips, and he had to draw his belt so tight to keep up his trousers that it seemed to be cutting him in two. On this morning, when we see him for the first time, his face is less heavily masked than it would be by the end of the week, for it is only Wednesday. And though his bristly beard grows fast, it is not yet thickened to the dark cloud, which it will be on Saturday, say. One can draw all his features, particularly the sunken cheeks and the sad mouth. For he who works hard, even for himself, carries the story of it in his face eventually. Then there are his eyes which deny all the rest of the story. They are pale blue, clear as the eyes of a child, ready to smile beneath the shaggy brows. Let me tell you the whole truth of Jim Gore. He is a child. If he had not been a child, he would never have taken up the prospector's life, knowing as little as he did of geology. But when he was able to read the chapter heading, as one might say, of the story of the stones, he felt that he could guess at all the details. So he joined the ragged army which still explores the uplands and the deserts of this continent and finds the millions which make others rich. If he had known a whit more, he would not have been so happy. Geology would have become a science to him. As it was, it remained a rich, bookless mystery, a thing to dream over, to pray about. He lived among crowding symbols which pointed toward vast happiness, vast wealth. If he struck it rich, he hardly knew what he would do with the money except to buy a pair of good mules to pack his outfit, and then a quantity of the finest powder, and the single and double jacks of the truest balance, 
and the drills which keep the best temper, and a thousand other little conveniences which would turn his camp life into a heavenly existence. For instance, if he could buy a jointed fishing rod and a fine repeating rifle. He did not even indulge in such dreams as these very often. His passion was for the gold itself, and not what he would do with it. To rip the rocks apart and unlock the treasure for the world was his yearning. He wished to handle the key, instinctively, I suppose. He knew that the gold would never stick long to his fingers. Yet the love of this great adventure never died down in him. He never lost sight of it, except in towns where the crowding faces and the crowding voices filled him with homesickness and sorrow, so that he fled back to his mountains in haste. We must not consider that Jim Gore was a peculiarly sensitive man.